Allegis Global Solutions presents the Subject to Talent podcast, a hub for global workforce leaders to unleash the power of human enterprise. Thank you for listening in as we explore the most innovative and transformational topics impacting business today. Hi, I'm Bruce Morton, the host of the Subject to Talent podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kim Lear, founder and generational research consultant at Inlay Insights. Kim is a prominent generational researcher, and as well as delivering fantastic keynotes, and I've been witness to that, she advises global organizations on trends in the work and marketplace. Kim's work has been featured in publications such as USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, and The Time Magazine. We are very excited to welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Kim. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. It's an honor to be here. Great fun. Good. So here on Subject to Talent, we always start by asking our guess the same question and that is how did you get how did you get a start in studying generations and what made you decide to focus on the workforce so i i didn't actually begin my journey in the study of generations in the workplace realm but right. i was um i read jean twange's book generation me when i was home for a winter break during my sophomore year of college and i still can't remember if it was like one of those weird books that my parents just had around to like better understand <laughs> their kids or if it was something yeah. that i serendipitously picked up but her interpretation at that time of millennials was so interesting to me and she spoke about me and my peers in a way that it felt like she was like spying on us. And she's a she's a social psychologist. And I um, was amazed that the uh, like intimacy of her research, like how much she really was able to articulate the experience of being young at that time. And right. uh, my imagination was really captured. And I was fortunate to have some amazing professors, Katie Martin, Ryan Beasley, and some others who... Um, joined me in and engaged with me in this curiosity. And my focus was really initially more in the economic and political realm. I was interested in Great. some of those mm -hmm. economic and political aspects that created some of these generational norms. Um, and I graduated uh, undergrad in 2009, just a couple hot months after Lehman had collapsed and like the world was, <laughs> you know, the American economy at least was in free fall. So there were no jobs. And like many of my peers, I spent a few years somewhat adrift. Uh, I worked at a summer camp and I worked retail. And then once the economy bounced back, bounced back, I was really fortunate. I got a job with David Stillman and Lynn Lancaster and Deborah Arbett. And David and Lynn wrote a book in the 90s called When Generations Collide. And that was like one of the first books that really looked at these generational shifts and points of tension and opportunity in the workplace. And it was through their work that I realized that the workplace was really where the rubber met the road. So my academic interest intersected in so many ways with modern workplace topics because we can't really understand how workplace expectations change without digging into why a new generation has different ideas about cadence of promotion and uh, compensation, sense of sacrifice, uh, feedback, technology, morality, all of these things. So one of my favorite things to do then, which I continue to do now, is look at how leadership legacies are rewritten. Um, right. You, know, you look at something like where Jack Welsh was really the archetype of leadership excellence in one era, and then 
in another era, somewhat demonized. And it was things like that where it's like Jack Welsh's style never changed, but the culture changed and what people really expected out of leaders changed. And so that was my kind of topsy-turvy journey where I would always study generations. I was always in that sociological space. Um, But then the workplace was just such an interesting area where everything kind of happens. We spend a lot of time there. And yes. Yeah. And I guess you can see it play out every day in a workplace for real. Um, it sounds like, well, it's a great journey and it sounds so serendipitous. I think you were meant to, meant to get to where you got to. Um, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Jet Walsh. I mean, as a baby boomer, he was uh, revered in a good way for his command and control, but that doesn't yeah. matter quite so well now, right? Um, right. But yeah. those were those. <laughs> yeah, just looked at it differently. Um, so I know, I know the other part of your question is where, where are you now? And yeah. I just find myself in an incredibly fortunate situation where over the last 14 years, I've been able to work with over half of the Fortune 500 companies um, with amazing nonprofits, with public institutions, looking at this shifting workplace. And I learned so much from my clients and the people that I work with as well. Fantastic. And for those in the audience who are not yet versed in generational theory and the terminology, yeah. Can you provide a bit of background on the generational ages that we'll be discussing today so people can position themselves where they need to? Yes. So for any of the listeners that are like super type A, I just have to, this is a social science. You're going to have to bend with me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but roughly, you know, when we're talking about baby boomers at this point, we're really mostly talking about people in their 60s and 70s. Um, right. For Gen X, the oldest Gen Xer is now about... Um, 57 years old. And so really looking at kind of that around like 42 to 58 range. And then millennials, their 30s, early 40s, and uh, some in their very late 20s. And then the oldest Gen Zer is right around 26. And so that kind of, you know, 16. Yeah. Yeah. So now people can look through that lens for the next yes. 30 minutes. And, and so, I do just want to give the stipulation that, yeah. um, you know, it's not like anyone goes to sleep on December 31st of one year and someone wakes up January 1st and it's, it's a different species. Whenever we use this terminology, we're, yeah. we're not trying to understand one specific person. We're trying to understand how our culture really changes over time. And so, of course, there's, there's some of these dates, there's pieces of it that are arbitrary in certain ways, but essentially what we're looking at is change over time. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. So often when the conversation turns to multi-generation workers and no more than now, right? Five generations in the workforce, we see those headlines quite often. They begin, those articles tend to begin with the differences in attitudes or work ethic and dedication. How do we address these differences and how can promoting understanding actually increase workforce cooperation? Well, my favorite thing to remind people of is that the older generation never thought the younger generation had a good work ethic. And so this whole thing right now of like, you know, no one wants to work or whatever that is, it's, that's just always been part of this cultural narrative. I think part of it is because we all somewhat mythologize our own pathways to success. And so we kind of have this idea of what we sacrificed or the way that we achieved it. And 
people are unreliable narrators. And so we don't always remember it exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the example that I give is, um, you know, I had a client, uh, an older gentleman, a baby boomer, and he worked in finance and worked like 80 hours a week his entire life. But his father was a farmer in northern Minnesota. And he told me how his his father went to went to the grave never thinking that he that his son had a good work ethic and uh, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense right i mean his cuz his father's right. like you work inside sitting down so that's not good work yeah. ethic so you know it wasn't that long ago where the majority of the american workforce worked outside on farms and then they worked in factories and then offices and one day we will not so i think when we can have that historical context it just allows us to view a new generation a little bit more objectively, a little less judgmentally with this understanding that there's always been an element of that. Um, but the, the way we work changes and the technologies yeah. that are available to us now, uh, they were meant to make work more optimal. They were meant to speed things up. And, um, you know, those original almost like science fiction views on technology were really about freeing us that was like the point right. yep. of being like we can that was the promise whatever we want that was the promise of technology was this real yeah. sense of freedom and so i actually think that in many ways technology delivered on that promise it's us as humans who are holding on really tightly to the way that we think about work from a social construct instead of right. really evaluating what could be leveraged in order to make things faster and get things yeah. done in a more timely manner. For any British listeners and viewers, they'll, um, they'll remember from my age as a baby boomer, there was a program called Tomorrow's World when I was in my teenage years. Yeah. And he looked at me through that TV and he promised me that I'd retire at 50. <laughs> <laughs> Because of the advancement of technology. He lied to me. <laughs> and then we wonder why people's expectations are so yeah. out of whack. But listen but yeah. listen to your, you know, those promises. And those are the days you used to believe what came through the TV screen as well. But anyway, whole other subject. <laughs> so, um, I, know, I know the conversation around corporate loyalty and different generation, you know, we could just be talking about that for hours and hours. But can you touch on the topic with a, a sort of un introductory overview of how organizations are starting to think about this. Yeah, I mean, corporate loyalty, I'm, I'm just going to give a book recommendation and try instead of trying to summarize like a magnum <laughs> opus about the history of work. But uh, Lewis Hyman, uh, many years ago, wrote the book Temp. And the subtitle, um, it is American-centric, but he actually does include quite a bit of global data in there. But the subtitle is How American Work and the American Dream Became Temporary. Um, but I would say that he, that book probably does the best job of dissecting this chicken or the egg aspect of corporate loyalty, where people are trying to figure out like who broke the pact first. Was right. this employers or was this employees? And so if that is a question that fascinates you, this is a book to dive into about really kind of the, you know, the history of labor movements and the history of um, temp work, you know, and all of that type of, uh, type of thing. Uh, I will say that there is just aspects of this that are um, you know, purely economic, that people respond to the carrots that are put in front of them. And at this point, the majority of data on 
um, compensation jumps and on fast career trajectories, it does show that moving jobs is the fastest way to make more money. And so I don't think that this is a bunch of people out there who are so selfish and only want to look out for themselves. I think that, you know, there's a carrot that is there and people act accordingly. Um, but I I feel like since the pandemic, there's been just some realizations. I do think that there's still a lot of truth to this concept that people don't leave a bad company, they leave a bad manager. But I would just add to that and say I, I have seen just in my research and my focus groups that they may not they may not leave a bad company, but they do leave a company that tolerates bad managers like across the board. And so I, I think that that has made some, you know, it's, it had impacts on the great resignation and a lot of the labor movement that we saw there about this expectation about what it really means to be well managed, well led and what people were willing to walk away from in search of something better. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. Yeah. What people are willing to walk away from, which perhaps that is a, one of the changes you roll that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, voting with the feet and all that. So as small organizations now are moving into a, you know, hybrid and remote options. Um, and well, actually, before we get to that, let's think about the, the other changes happening now with contingent labor versus an employee, because the contingent labor happening now is growing like crazy, continues to grow. In some cases, more than 50% of the labor workforce is contingent, you know, not employee. So how do you see the generational impacts actually have on those types of workers compared to employees? Is it impacting them differently? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that has been interesting to see with Gen Z in particular is that the type of internet that they grew up with was really different from millennials. And when we try to look at these big jumps in norms and mores and things like that, one of the big differences between millennials and Gen Z is the is how social how social media could really be leveraged in for like different revenue streams. And right. so this entrepreneurial spirit is interesting to look at with Gen Z because in some ways we do still see some general risk aversion, but that like the barrier to entry for entrepreneurship and even some of the risk of it has gone down quite a bit because uh, creating different revenue streams, particularly by leveraging tech, uh, right. is just is easier. And so I think that, you know, for them, that idea of being contingent labor of is more appealing. It feels a lot less risky in some ways because there is still that possibility to explore these other options. Um, I, you know, some of this does depend on what happens with the economy. We do see oftentimes that right. during times of a lot of economic volatility, people do have a craving for stability. Um, and we saw that during the 08, 09 recession as well. And so that could impact you know, the contingent workforce and what workers really want. Um, and again, even that question of like, what are you willing to walk away from? And the possibility of walking away from some freedoms in exchange for some stability could be on the horizon, depending on what happens with the economy. Right. And I guess if you think about it from that perspective, it's the, it's, the design might, might have been there. People might have been thinking about that, but now they're getting the opportunity to do it because of the advanced tech. So it take 
there's another tick in the box. Well, okay, I haven't got to worry about that because I know I can do that because technology, now I need to make a decision between that flexibility or the, the safe and stable depending on the economy. So I like, exactly. I like the way you described that, those yeah. sort of three decision points. So thanks for that. So moving on to now we position that contingent versus the employees. What about the impact of remote work and hybrid or the other names we can think of? Are we seeing different views of working from home, working remote in generational uh, yeah. uh, criteria? Yeah, I mean, so uh, Harvard with the University of Iowa, they came out with this um, fascinating report just a couple months ago that I feel like crystallized a lot of what people already saw and what people were already thinking, which was essentially that seasoned workers were are much more productive at home. Like they, they're at a place in their career where they've right. built up a lot of the social capital that they need. They've built up a lot of their... Um, you know, professional reputation. They know what they're doing. Also their life stage, right? A lot of them there might be aging parents, there might be school-aged children and that type of thing. And so being able to work in this much more like focused sprint type of uh, environment was is has been and is great for seasoned workers. Uh, it's and again, just like I'm a, the, I love these studies that show these things where all of us are like, yes, like I don't even know if we needed a study to tell us this. But obviously for early <laughs> in career people, yeah. those that launch into the workforce that like your first real moment of professional success, of professional relationship building is so formative and critical and you're young and you're new and you're porous and so open to learning. And so the study found and and it it found these big differences in what remote did to seasoned workers versus new workers. Right. Uh, and also kind of posed this tension point that employers will be dealing with, which is do we sacrifice seasoned employee productivity for new worker growth and development? Because the reason that the in-person work experience is valuable to new workers is because seasoned workers are there. Like, that's the point. <laughs> and so if we revamp it where we're like, oh, seasoned workers yeah. can stay home and new workers can come in. Um, so yeah. I think that is going to be, when we think about the future of work, even just these next five years, I think that element is going to be a, a, an interesting piece to explore. Overwhelmingly, we have seen with younger workers that there's a real hunger for in-person experiences across the board. I mean, there's yep, an yep. uptick in uh, like summer camps and I mean, all, any experience that you can think of that is immersive. Um, a lot of experiences that are tech-free have been very appealing to young to young workers. And so, yeah, that that in-person experience really being critical, but how it pays out in worker productivity and growth and development and creating a new generation of leaders is very dependent on the involvement of these seasoned yeah. workers. And you've just said something that I hadn't thought of this way before, but seasoned workers, as I'm a seasoned worker, as a baby I'll use that term. Um, perhaps they're being more productive because uh, if they're not in the office, they're not getting disturbed every five minutes for some advice. Right. <laughs> Right, that's but true. Have to if they're not there. <laughs> that's true. You're right, but yeah. it's that's always kind of it that is trade-offs. Yes, it it definitely it definitely is. But I think that the 
workplace cultures that always had a strong foundation in generous mentorship, in meaningful growth and development. I think they're the ones that have been able to, even if it is hybrid, whatever it is, I think they've been able to create these meaningful in-person moments to create these connections and these opportunities for learning. And I, I think those companies will really come out ahead. The other piece that I'll just dangle in front of you, even though you know we, we don't know yet, is a study that myself and a few other researchers around the globe are looking at is how uh, a lot of economic hubs all over the world have gone back really primarily in person. But outside of Wall Street, America has landed much more in a hybrid model. And so we are trying to look at the experience of being a young worker in you know, in Shanghai or, you know, in a place where it's pretty much back to Monday through Friday in the office compared to America with a, at this point, a pretty different model. Yeah. And I guess the, you know, we're now hiring or bringing into the workforce a generation that have never seen pre-COVID, of course, so that probably be a defining moment in when we're into the next generation, generation alpha, I think we'll be yeah. looking back and say, yeah, that generation are defined by the whether they were pre-COVID or post-COVID in the workforce. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think that understanding the impacts of COVID on on all of us, but definitely on that unceremonious catapult into adulthood, I know we're all so yeah. hungry to understand it now. And I even just see it like parents want to know, I mean, just in the very human way. But I think about how really understanding the impacts of, smartphone technology on millennials or the impacts of the Occupy Wall Street movement or the impacts of 9-11, these things like yep. we wrote about it. I mean, we we did our best for, you know, 15 years ago to try to make predictions. But I would say for me in my research, it's really only been in the last few years that I could confidently write, this is what happened and these were the ripple effects. And right. so we're not going to know really what happened yeah. for for a while yeah you know how how yeah. it shapes us fascinating but it'll keep you in work for many years kim so that's a good thing that's that's the hope <laughs> <laughs> so um this has gone like in a in a minute but um i'm i think we've given our listeners a great taste and they're going to want to learn more, far more than that so but before we get to that um how do people uh, contact you um so that might answer that, and then I'll come to our final crystal ball question. Yes, but great. Um, I don't want to get it in there, so. Yes. Uh, my, I write kids these days on Substack, and that's where my newest research is always put out. And kimlear.com is where I can Dang. be found. Awesome. So as we're talking about generations and you just scratch on looking into the future, I'll put you on the spot to close yeah. that here. You know, if you had a crystal ball... What is the multi-generational landscape going to look like in, you pick a date, by five to 10 years or yeah. something? <laughs> um, I would say, I'll, I'll, I'll read what I wrote to keep it concise for you. Okay. Um, I think one of the things is that in five to 10 years, we'll use that, um, baby boomers will be almost, almost entirely out of like the day-to-day of the workplace and Generation X will dominate the C-suite. And for those of you who remember the transition from traditionalists to baby boomers, you know that these collective 
passing of the baton moments right. are ripe for opportunity. So with traditionalists, you know, over 50% were veterans of World War II or the Korean War. It was that top-down command and control style that dominated the workplace. They passed the baton over to baby boomers, really entering us into this era of ambition and individuality and expression. And so that baton is being passed now. And so Gen X with this radical candor, transparency, optimization, uh, this kind of focus on on leveraging tech in, in a different way, I think that is going to really transform what the next five to 10 years look like. Millennials managing larger and larger teams um, and that, um, you know, kind of entering the workforce during the authenticity movement, I think, right. really changes the way that we look at strong leadership and engagement and some of those kind of interesting blurred lines between personal and professional lives in some ways. And then Gen Z, they're just in this moment that you know, every generation they step into adulthood and they reevaluate the society that they inherit. And within that reevaluation, a lot of change comes. I think one of the questions that they are in the midst of reevaluating is, what am I willing to sacrifice for my job? And I think their collective answer to that question will dictate a lot of what happens over the next five to 10 years. Wow. That's powerful stuff, Kevin. Um, and as a, I guess I'll be a uh, baton passer that's a, at some point the next five to 10 years. Um, but you know, you don't was, have uh, to, that wasn't like, I, but I'm, okay. I, you know, if I we're, if we're to. just looking at, you know, averages, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, know. <laughs> um, okay. So look, listen, this has been very, very insightful. You and I could talk for hours. I know that, but, um, really, really appreciate it. Love the work you do. Thank, thank you. you so much for sharing some time with us today to help spread the word. Um, but again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions, send them to subject to talents at legisglobalsolutions.com. Follow us on LinkedIn with the hashtag subject to talent and learn more about AGS at allegisglobalsolutions.com, where you can subscribe to receive additional workforce insights. Until next time, cheers.